Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chair of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm very, very pleased to have a third time guest on Butts and Guts, Dr. Emery Gorgon, who is our section head of colorectal cancer in our department of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic. He's also our Krauss-Lieberman chair in minimally invasive surgery. And actually, Emery also wears multiple hats, one of which he is the director of our endoluminal surgery center. Emery, welcome back to Butts and Guts. Thank you very much, Scott. It's an honor to be with you. I enjoy every time I uh, get connected with with this Butts and Guts. Uh, Thank you very much. So uh, I know I really want a lot of our listeners to go back and listen to the back episodes, but I know not everybody does that. So for those who don't know your background, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how did it come to the point that you're here at the Cleveland Clinic? Sure. Happy to share that with you. Thank you for asking. I uh, went to medical school in, uh, in overseas, in, in Turkey, Istanbul. I did complete my full surgical training back there as well then came to United States for further doing research since research and medicine is so well advanced in this country and end up uh, uh, falling in love with uh, medicine as well as my wife, of course. And, uh, and, and I, uh, I repeated my residency in this country again and get board certified in both colorectal surgery as well as general surgery and have been on faculty here for now more than 10 years. And there's no question that we are a better department because of that. And so we're going to talk a little bit about rectal cancer. And so, you know, I know I tell my patients we're one long garden hose from our mouths to our bottoms. But can you can you kind of talk about a little bit on a 50,000 foot view? What is the difference between rectal cancer and colon cancer? Sure. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Garden hose from mouth to anus and the last portion where it ends is, is of that garden hose that goes to the, to the toilet bowl is, if you will, the rectum or last portion of our intestinal tract. Uh, that's about five inches long, if you will. Of course, from person to person that may differ, but more upstream, uh, more, five, more than five inches above the anus gets you into the colon. And that colon, we can say about uh, five, six feet long. So anywhere in, in that area, in uh, upstream to the to the f- five inches uh, from whole, uh, anus is really the colon colon that we uh, refer as, uh, and as you know, the garden hose upstream to colon is our small bowel. So we really, as colorectal surgeons, are in charge of treating diseases of the segment mainly. Uh, for, uh, downstream from small bowel that connects into the colon. And we see a lot of diseases, uh, not only cancer, ulcerative colitis, inflammatory bowel disease, but of course, uh, I think we'll be talking more on on the rectal and cancer for for the purpose of this podcast. Yeah, so uh, again, so now we're going to focus for our listeners on the rectal cancer aspect. So in general, how is rectal cancer typically diagnosed? And, you know, just for our home viewers out there, what type of symptoms, understanding that many of the symptoms may be just completely benign and not to do with cancer, but what type of symptoms should they be on the watch out for? Yeah, uh, changing in the bowel habits, I think, is is something that uh, everyone should watch out for. Uh, when we say changing in the bowel habits, it's such a 
cliche word, but what does that really mean for listeners is, I, I think, very important. And what that means is, like, you have, rather than more formed stools or banana-sized banana stools, more formed, we call it, formed stools, you get a little bit more mushy, maybe, or uh, more ribbon-like, more string-like, you know, changes or uh, in your stool uh, for, forms or the shape or or additionally, maybe you may be seeing some streak of uh, blood or some or blood drop dripping after you have bowel movements. So these things are, uh, you know, indicative of changing in bowel habits or difficulty. Maybe you need to push more. Like you said, Scott, you know, that these, a lot of these can be related to different things, maybe hemorrhoids or fissures, you know, or some uh, wounds in the anal canal. Uh, but but still, of course, when we we need we need to be uh, you know until proven otherwise, we need to figure it out what it is you know. So it's important because we don't want to miss, of course, cancer. So we need to be on uh, lookout for these type of symptoms. Other things are in addition to changing in bowel habits are bleeding, which we talked about that a little bit as well. Bleeding is important. Uh, additionally, weight loss. You, you know, in a certain amount of time. Uh, you know, you, you, unintentional weight loss. Th those are the probably two, three main things that I would uh, count uh, from the top of my head. So when patients have that and they are willing to get examined or going to have a workup for potentially rectal cancer, can you walk through what does that involve? When, when they come in to us with those symptoms, depending on their age, of course, first things first, uh, colonoscopy, uh, which means looking directly to it. What is this? You know, how does it look? And, uh, and inside, do we, there, is there anything inside of the intestine that is blinking to us in a nasty fashion? So that's what we need to figure out. Uh, uh, but of course, we sometimes patients do not come with these symptoms rather with screening colonoscopy. And I think that should be also an important emphasis on healthcare providers that we need to emphasize. Uh, it's important, just don't miss your screening colonoscopies because uh, before even these type of rectal cancer we're talking about, for example, before they become symptomatic, patients can be, or rectal cancer can be diagnosed with screening colonoscopies. And usually, uh, recently actually US task force uh, published a recommendation to even lower the age of screening colonoscopy down to 45 years of age, which is really uh, important that with this way, we will probably diagnose uh, earlier some of the cancers, in, especially in the younger population. And as we all know, more recently, we started to see more patients uh, at a younger age, which we are privileged to have a young onset uh, colorectal cancer within our group and center within our group uh, under your leadership and Dr. Liska's leadership, so which is important. But uh, the screening colonoscopy is another method these patients are discovered. But back to your questions, when they come in with symptoms or with screening colonoscopy, when they are found, of course, we need to find their stage, proper staging, and that starts with a, a MRI for further imaging, uh, X-rays, uh, and the, the modern X-ray for that, uh, for specifically for rectal cancer in this in the in this DNH, is MRI, uh, and with a special protocol MRI. Uh, Unfortunately, nationwide, we do see a lot of uh, miss 
staging or not properly performed imagings, and this, the patients sometimes are treated without even having, having, having an MRI. So we are really making an emphasis and proud to uh, make, uh, make sure that we, we, we do stage our patients properly and, uh, and treat them properly. So the first stage is, first, first step is uh, getting these MRIs and making a proper decision how to, we can treat our patients. So when a patient has been diagnosed, uh, what has been the traditional or standard approach to treat rectal cancer? And, and then if you will, take us through how maybe some of the novel innovative approaches of an ordinance sparing approach, what does that mean? Sure. Yeah, traditionally when patients are diagnosed with rectal cancer, uh, they have been uh, treated in, in the past actually by just cutting the, uh, if you go back to 50, 60 years, of course, cutting the rectum off, uh, removing uh, the rectum and giving them a permanent back uh, because it's the last portion of the garden hose. Uh, you know, the, we didn't have modern techniques to put things back together as surgeons. More recently, that changed. My, when I say more recently, maybe 20, 30, 40 years, we started to treat these patients with upfront radiation uh, uh, treatment, then operated on them, and after surgery, you know, possibly put them back together, uh, reconnected their intestinal uh, system with re intestinal continu continuity, and then gave them chemotherapy. But really, more and more recently, meaning really last uh, five years, if not last in the last day, uh, last year or so. Uh, we started to do actually, rather than doing that chemotherapy after surgery, we skipped that, swapped that order, and now we're giving chemoradiation or radiation first, then chemotherapy for four months or so, and then operating uh, on our patients. So that really, with that, we have seen significant uh, improvement in patient care, uh, in ability to put them back together even maybe and, and also uh, even complete responses, meaning some of these patients may not even after this aggressive combined uh, treatments, medical and oncological treatments may not even need surgery. Uh, and that, that allows us to, 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 to preserve organ. When we say organ, of course, for the purpose of rectal cancer, we mean rectum, uh, the bottom portion of the garden hose, which is, uh, which is important. So that way we can preserve rectum or we can preserve anal canal, we can preserve sphincters, control muscles. That's a major improvement in, uh, in health, in, in quality of life for, for our patients. Now you're talking about the opportunity to not have surgery at all, don't have a permanent bag or don't have what we call a connection between the colon and the anus. So is that a large percentage of patients that would get this? And how do you make that determination whether patients can have an ordinance sparing approach for rectal cancer or not? Compared to before, I, I, I think it is a large portion. It depends on how you look at it. You know, if you look at a glass full or glass half, of course, that's completely a philosophy approach, but uh, certainly more higher numbers than what we used to have in the past in terms of when we did give the chemotherapy after surgery, when we just treated them with radiation, our complete response rates were much uh, lower, maybe in low teens. Uh, now we, we can see up to even 30, 40% complete responses, which is dramatic improvement in terms of 
uh, you know, complete response, meaning just with medical treatment, without uh, even doing any surgery to these patients, to our patients, that the responses and the, the chance that tumor completely disappearing is up to 40%, which is, I think, a, a high a high improvement. And these numbers, and this is where we are at right now, but with, with more advancements, maybe even treating really earlier stage tumors, uh, these numbers may even go up higher than maybe 50%, 55%. So there is a lot, lot to be accomplished, and I'm extremely excited as the section head, as you mentioned before, to, to you know, move the needle in, in this area. And for our listeners out there, Dr. Gorgon is definitely one of the thought leaders in this area, as well as the thought leader in some of the advanced and surgery, of which yeah, I encourage all of you to go back and listen to some of the back podcasts on that. So let's talk a little bit about how is this organ sparing approach helped out in terms of the patient's quality of life? Uh, is it is it is it is it something that uh, you know that they're worried around? They got to get more tests afterwards. I mean, are they followed? Is there a chance that if they undergo a non-operative therapy approach, will they will they uh, does that are they cured? Do they have to be surveyed? Do they ever need surgery? Talk us a little bit about that. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. I I, I would like a, one answer. How does that? Uh, uh, affect their quality of life, I would say day and night. Uh, the difference is that much. Uh, it is a dramatic change. Uh, some patients may require permanent back without this type of approach versus now they can really keep their rectum. They can, they can avoid totally a major operation and depending on their risk factors for having a surgery, uh, completely avoiding a major surgery is, is huge. Uh, so there are a, a significant uh, quality of life uh, uh, changes with this type of approach. Uh, yes, there is a, it, nothing comes free. Uh, there is no free lunch. Uh, but, you know, at the end, they need to follow up uh, closely. We, and, and until we know more about this type of approach, of course, we, keep, we, we, we feel safer to monitor our patients very closely after this type of new adjuvant uh, or TNT, total new adjuvant therapy, non-operative management or organ preserving approach. And we monitor our patients closely at least for the first two years, every three months with flexible sigmoidoscopy. So meaning with taking a look, direct look at this, where the tumor was and trying to watch that area like a hawk that nothing tries to grow back up but in, in our center also, we are using our uh, abilities and skills from what we learned from endoluminal surgery. Even if we see something like a small uh, lining change in the, in the rectum, something trying to grow back up or anything like that, we can use these still endoluminal approaches and try to shave this, these new uh, tissues off and see if there's something really real or it's, it's a fa false alarm, if you will. So there's, uh, there's a lot to, uh, to, to, to accomplish in this area. And as every, as every day goes by, we learn something new. And, uh, but don't get me wrong, we are not obviously experimenting things, but that's again, to move the needle in a better, uh, to, to a higher level. Uh, so the, the patients, yes, they follow closely with us. Uh, they do get scans every six months, CT abdomen pelvis. Uh, chest CAT scans to make sure that 
we don't miss anything. Having said that, even if they don't, if even if they have surgery, uh, and if even if they have permanent bags, if they are in any any or in other places or outside, they these patients would still require close surveillance. They would still require CAT scans on a regular basis. Yeah, so I think the take-home message there is there is a little bit of some more frequent screening. And, and, and again, not all patients with rectal cancer can be treated with this novel approach, but it's, it's a really individualized treatment plan that we use our multidisciplinary team in order to select those patients and how we'll follow them afterwards. So, uh, Dr. Gorgon, as we finish up here, what's on the horizon as far as additional research into this novel approach? Is there any other things? Uh, are you doing this with colon cancer? Is there anything that, uh, that is happening novel in this aspect? In terms of the, uh, like I, some of the things, you know, uh, advancement and changes and uh, uh, what future will, will bring us, we, we talked about that a little bit, but more to, of course, even if there's no complete response, for example, uh, after this type of new adjuvant treatment, organ sparing approach, even if there's some sh- shrinkage, uh, I think I'm, and I'm op- optimistic and hopeful that we can still be a little bit more facile in terms of preserving the sphincter muscles, you know, saving the muscles and anuses for our patients. So we, we, if there is no involvement uh, of this control muscles, even though if the tumor was large at the beginning, but with, with this type of approach, if we can shrink it to a certain level, we could potentially uh, save their uh, rectums or anuses, not anus uh, rectums, but anuses, the control muscles, we could still uh, 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 develop that type of approach. Of course, everything that we do here, I just need to uh, emphasize that needs to be oncologically sound and uh, safe. So that's number one priority for us. But that is that is where we can make, take this to the next level in terms of uh, 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 in terms of preserving the uh, uh, control muscles. In the colon, certainly I, for locally advanced tumors, uh, upfront chemotherapy also is uh, something that we can, uh, we started to talk more and more extensively uh, uh, recently. That's another area of development. And, and also uh, to, to research and see what these patients do with, with this non-operative management, how to, how is their functional outcomes? How how happy are they? Uh, uh, and from you know, if you think about that, it's not only intestinal functions, but also, for example, sexual functions, uh, uh, bladder functions. All that is affected if someone has a, a surgery. So these areas are still to be ex- you know explored and studied. So as all of our listeners know, we typically wind up with some quick hitters. Since you're a three-time guest, I got a couple of different questions for you this time and in order to get to know you a little bit better. So what's your favorite color? It's blue. If you had to choose something salt or something sweet, which one would you go with? Salt. How about your favorite or one of your favorite movies that come to mind? Drift. And then finally, what was your first car that you ever had? It was a European car, probably most listeners might not know, but Opel, uh, Opel Vectra. Yeah, we had a Buick Opel, I think. My, that was my brother at that car. So that's fantastic. So, uh, Dr. Gorgon, give us a final take-home message for our listeners regarding this novel approach to organ sparing for rectal cancer. Read, 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 research, 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 uh, and always seek for a second opinion. Don't take everything as granted. There's always an alternative to your problem. 
and we are here to help uh, with any questions you have. Organ preservation is my last word. That's fantastic. To download a free treatment guide with information on colon erector cancer prevention and treatment, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash colon cancer guide. That's clevelandclinic.org slash colon cancer guide. You can also call Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Answer Line at 866-223-8100. That's 866-223-8100. And remember, it's now recommended that everyone ages 45 and older receive a colonoscopy. So take control of your health and get screened if you're in that age range. And finally, remember, in times like these, it's important for you and your family to continue to receive medical care and be rest assured here at the Cleveland Clinic, we're taking all necessary precautions to sterilize our facilities and protect our patients and caregivers. Dr. Gorgon, thanks so much for joining us again on Butts and Guts. Thank you very much, Scott. Always a pleasure. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.